Welcome to the War Room. I'm Blake, the commander of the room. Feel free to grab a chair, grab your Bible, and let's dig in. Alrighty, so let's see, today not really going to talk about anything political for a couple reasons. First being, not a lot has happened. We've been quarantined. And uh, two, um, I don't really want to muddy the message I'm going to be talking about, which I'll get to in a minute. Uh, but the second thing I want to get out of the way is uh, I didn't get a blog post up this week. Like I said, I, would, uh, I was busier than I expected to be, so I'll get one up next week. Uh, but let's see. So two weeks ago, I talked about people who really influenced me a lot. And uh, then a couple days after I posted that, one of the one of the people I mentioned passed away, uh, Ravi Zacharias. Um, and so that's all I'm going to really be talking about is his life and then uh, kind of his work. Um, yeah, so I'll just get to it. So uh, Ravi was born in India in 1946. Um, at the age of 17, he tried to kill himself. Uh, but luckily for him and the world, it failed. Um, and uh, somebody was coming around the hospital passing out Bibles and gave one to his mom. And uh, so she started reading it to him. And they came to John 14, 19, which the second half of the verse is, because I live, you also will live. And that resonated with Ravi a lot in his situation. And so at that point, he gave his life to Christ, and he promised to leave no stone unturned in the pursuit of truth. And uh, I will agree with a lot of other people and say that he definitely followed through on that promise. Um, an interesting fact about Ravi, where he was born, is the same place that um, the Apostle Thomas is said to have traveled, uh, reading from the obituary on his website. Uh, Ravi was born in Madras, now Chennai, in 1946, in the shadow of the resting place of the Apostle Thomas, known to the world as the Doubter, but to Zacharias as the Great Questioner. Zacharias's affinity with Thomas meant he was always more interested in the questioner than the question itself. So yeah, watching a lot of um, Zacharias's videos, it was it's you can clearly tell that he cares about the person behind the question. He understands that there's a reason that they're asking that question. And so he tries to uh, break down, break down the answers in a way that it actually resonates with the person. So that's, that was always cool to see. Um, yeah. Ravi was highly influential. I heard influential. I heard uh, one theologian claim that uh, most pastors have been influenced by him uh, either directly or indirectly. Um, uh, the White House press secretary, uh, Kaylee McKenney, said that Mr. Zacharias um, was the great apologist. That was the nickname she gave him. Uh, Vice President Pence backed it up at uh, Robbie's Memorial, um, kind of going off of Billy Graham's nickname, the great evangelist. Um, but so that's what he did was, a, he was an apologist. Um, 
but I know that word might not uh, be familiar to a lot of people. So uh, apologetics, uh, definition I found was a reasonable arguments justifying something, often faith. And so basically it's um, giving answers, justifying, uh, defending the faith, um, specifically Christianity in this case. Um, and yeah, Ravi, like I said, Ravi really loved people, um, but he also obviously really loved Jesus. And so he, uh, spent his life, um, trying to teach the people that he loved about the God that he loved. And, um, so last year he spent 200 days and this was normal for him. He spent 200 days, uh, speaking different, different events, um, and spoke it over a dozen countries and some years, I think dozens, plural countries. Um, last year he went over, he clocked over 4 million miles on airlines. Uh, so he was going everywhere, telling everybody about Jesus. And that's, that was just really cool. Um, yeah, but that was his life uh, marked by spreading the gospel, uh, and it was it was uh, really cool to see. Um, this last week, he, they had a memorial service for him, and just all the people that talked it was pretty cool. Um, from the vice president to uh, other people who were influenced by him. Uh, like Tim Tebow and uh, uh, rapper Lecrae. Um, he just influenced everybody in every sphere. So it's pretty cool. Um, but anyways, so uh, as an apologist, a lot of his work was answering the tough questions. Um, so now I'm, I'm going to get into a couple of his the answers that he got, some of my favorite answers. All right, so the first question is, what's wrong with subjective moral reasoning? Or basically, atheism would be the easy way to put it. Um, the idea that there's no higher being that uh, calls us to a set of moral standards um, is just the idea that we get to choose our own, our own morals. And the second part of the question is, are you scared that we're all just going to start raping and pillaging? And Ravi's response was priceless. He said, do you lock your door at night? Uh, it just easily pointed out the fact that, like, currently we still do have a set of morals that we follow. But yet, we're still worried that other people aren't going to follow those. So we lock our doors at night. Um, and so the idea that everybody gets to choose their own morals. Um, meaning if somebody doesn't think that murder is wrong, they can go kill whoever they want. Um, is a very real possibility with that, with that theory. Uh, and <clears throat> the guy responds and says, China is secular. You don't see them raping and pillaging. And it was just, this is funny because uh, Robbie's response was, oh, my, oh, my, oh, my, oh, my. Um, 
China specifically has a history of murdering their own people. Um, uh, Ravi brought up 20th century China and Russia are both responsible for killing 60 million of their own people apiece. And I've actually, I think that's actually a conservative number. I've seen Russia alone might have been um, as many as 100 million of their own people. But uh, his response was, it makes the Holocaust seem tame. Uh, he pointed out the weapons of warfare were piling up with no guiding principle to take us anywhere. A lot of people, Christianity was, uh, at least in those parts of the world, were not prominent and were actually persecuted. Um, and so this idea that people lived by their own morals was very true in China and Russia. And you see them killing their own people, uh, millions of their own people. Um, and so that, that one, that question, uh, was just needed to be looked at from a historical standpoint, really. Um, so that's the reason we lock our doors. The reason we have police and why we have law courts is because um, subjective moral reasoning does not does not work. It's just unlivable. And uh, one thing I'm gonna I'm gonna add uh, my own response. A lot of people try to pin Nazis as Christians uh, because I was in the same time frame, uh, shortly before, but around the same time frame. Um, and say that the Nazis killed millions of people, but that's not actually true. Uh, the Nazis exploited Christianity. Um, it's recorded that Hitler never went to church after he left his parents' house. And before that, when he was being confirmed in his church, he really drug his feet. The pastor had to drag him through the ceremony. Um, and... Uh, Joseph Goebbels, one of Hitler's high-up henchmen, wrote, though anti-Christian, um, though Hitler was anti-Christian, uh, he wouldn't let Goebbels leave the church for tactical reasons. So, no, the Nazis were not sure there was Christians in the Nazi party, but the Nazis themselves did not follow Christian uh, uh, morals for sure. And, uh, the leaders of the Nazis were not Christians themselves, but they did exploit it to look, to, to get it, gain a following. Um, anyways, next question. Uh, what do you say to those who say that evil is not within us, but our environment might cause us to sin? So basically the idea that we're not inherently bad, that we are actually inherently good. Um, Ravi's response. Ravi's a funny man. His response was, "This is an old, uh, old reference, but the man Enron shouldn't have been put in jail, but it was his neighbors who should be who should be for creating his environment." Um, Enron is an energy company who who went under and was uh, the, there was a scandal um, with their accounting uh, that included fraud, and so. This guy went to jail for it, but Robbie's response is that this guy shouldn't have gone to jail. It should have been his neighbors for creating the environment that he was in. 
because if if evil's not within us, it's our environment that created it, then that guy's not responsible for his actions. Um, he pointed out that while it's true, our environment shapes us, at some point somebody somebody has to be responsible. I mean, um, we're if we continue to point blame um, at everybody else, then ultimately there's no, there's no justice. There's no, um, nobody's responsible basically. Um, the reason there's sin on the outside is because it's on the inside first. And as Christians, we know that this goes back to Adam and Eve in the garden. Um, uh, Adam bringing the first sin into the world. And so now we, we live with this sin from birth. Uh, yeah. And then the last, the last question I'm going to go through and, and the most important one, um, most in depth one is, uh, this guy asked why Christianity basically out of all the, all the other religions, um, that you could choose from, why should we choose Christianity? Why should we believe it? Um, so Ravi kind of went through this list of things. Uh, first he believes that truth exists. Um, Second, we can find truth through tests and different modes of affirming the truth, such as the scientific method, um, using different uh, tools and stuff to figure out what the truth is. Um, third, you have to deal with existential realities, not just philosophical ideas. Um, he pointed out existentialism arose because philosophy got too abstract. Uh, lost touch with reality. So um, philosophy just kind of got this, became this brain exercise rather than something that actually applies to real life. And then the fourth thing was, was probably the most important thing and most I got out of it was um, six, the Bible was made up of 66 books by 40 different authors over at least 40 different authors over 1500 years. Um, it includes historical writing, philosophical writing, the, theological writing, and and um, when you look at it all together, there's no train of false claims. Like there's, if you look at the history part, there's no there's no false claim after false claim. There's really not any false claims that. Uh, that we can tell. <clears throat> um, and so if you were to see false claims, um, in, in one of these different areas, like history one or in philosophy or in theology, um, you could say, well, clearly it's not holding up here. Can we really trust it in this other area? But the thing is that it does hold up in all three areas. Um, the next point is uh, the Bible is a distinct religious book. Like it's it's distinctly different than than other holy books. And uh, he pointed out the Muslims will agree to this. You can't translate the Quran. You can, but um, it's if once you translate it, it's no longer considered a holy book because the Quran in Arabic 
is the perfect word for word of expression of God. You don't see that with the Bible. Um, the Bible doesn't say that that one word wouldn't be better than another. For this is what I mean. For example, under versus beneath. That under and beneath mean the same thing. But um, with the Quran, if you were to take the word under and switch it with beneath, it's autom- it's no longer um, the expression of God because you've you messed with the words. Whereas with the Bible, if you if you were to um, take under and switch it with beneath, then it's still, I mean, it's still holy. The Bible still holds. Um, it's not word for word in in that case. Um, the next the next big point is the uh, uh, and so that way that way you can actually translate it and spread it across the world. It's actually it's actually a book for for the world um as as we're taught to take it to so and then uh yeah so the next one is the prophecies the prophetic schema all the way back to abraham um god saying he'll make a a nation out of out of uh abraham's descendants and um so he said he pointed out daniel um Daniel prophesies about a massive empire led by a leader from the West, suddenly cut off, divided into four. The four become two, and then the two becomes one big empire again. And so if you take that and you put it on the um, Greek empire under, or the Macedonian empire, whatever you want to call it, under Alexander the Great, um, it fits it fits perfectly alexander the great was uh cut off in his 20s um he divided before his death his or after his death his uh empire was divided by his four generals so the the it was divided into four the four became two and then the two became one the roman empire um and this Prophecy in Daniel was four centuries before uh, the Greek, that that Greek empire under Alexander the Great happened. And so to be able to and prophesy that four centuries before is pretty crazy. Um, then looking at Zechariah and Isaiah, they both prophesy about the life of Jesus. Um, ultimately, all prophecies in the Old Testament uh, culminate around Jesus because he's the point, um, being God. And then, uh, the last thing Ravi talked about was a, uh, Princeton scholar from, or uh, a scholar from Princeton, Bruce Metzger, um, said that it's safe to say that at least there's at least 99.6% accuracy in the new Testament. If you were to, if you were to go through the new Testament and pick out any sentence, um, out of the, I think, 20,000 sentences in the, in the New Testament, something like that. Um, if you were to go through, and anyways, whatever it is, if you were to go through and pick any sentence, it's safe to say that there's at least a 99.6% chance that it's accurate. And that's not saying that 0.4% of the New Testament isn't accurate. Um, it's just 
there's some things you can't necessarily prove. And so that's, that's what, uh, that's where that it's a safeguard. We'll say that last 0.4%. Um, just like, just like if you have a hand sanitizer bottle, it'll never say it kills hundred percent of germs. It'll say 99.9%. Um, it's, it's that kind of safety thing, uh, whatever. Um, and he pointed out that this, that percentage that makes the Bible more accurate than any other ancient document by far. Um, the Bible also has more documentary support, um, than any other ancient document with over 5,000 ancient, uh, documents supporting it. Um, and that claim was backed up by uh, Time Magazine. Um, so yeah, <clears throat> just just a lot of uh, finish that question. There's just a lot of evidence for the Bible and for Jesus. And so uh, yeah. Anyway, so that that last answering questions. That's kind of what apologetics is. That's kind of that's what a lot of Robbie's work was was answering a lot of questions that uh, are not easy. Um, yeah, so that's, uh, that's about it for today. Uh, that'll, uh, that'll conclude our time here in the war room.